He's a man of this house. He's not a guest. He's one of the family. Uh, he preaches for us um, on Wednesday nights. He does our teaching here at the church. This week is hub night. If you're not part of a hub, then you can join one, see one of our team in yellow. Uh, we meet in different areas, Morden, Mitcham, Wimbledon, and Sutton. And so if you want to join a hub, you can do see one of the team in yellow. But the following Wednesday, he'll be back here preaching and teaching the word and you can join him. And so I want you to give him a big, what's that? Zoom prayer meeting, yes, tomorrow night, every Monday now, Zoom, and, and Fridays, Mondays and Fridays, as and when the Lord leads, but we are on tomorrow night, Zoom. Will you give him a big welcome to the pulpit? Our... Thank you, Archbishop. And all the other delegates. Good morning. Happy days. Pray with me. Father, this morning, we just ask that this atmosphere that has begun will intensify. Um, Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Father, send your spirit to breathe on our lives in fresh power and life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to the first page? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, as someone once said. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm just going to read there through verse 3, through verse 1 to verse 3. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. There is a purposeful reason why I've opened the message this morning with these verses, the first chapter of Scripture, the first verses in Scripture. It's because I believe the Lord wants us to take a journey this morning. And uh, I suppose I've got a bit of an ambitious goal in that I want us to get from Genesis to Revelation in about half an hour. But I want to develop, with the help of God, a biblical, both a biblical and a theological development of how the revelation of the Spirit impacts our lives as New Testament believers today. And, you know, we are a people of the book. Amen. We believe the Bible is God's word. Um, it's God's revelation to us. You know, many people will ask, well, why do you believe the Bible's God's word? I think there are many reasons why we believe the Bible's God's word. One of the main reasons it convinces me is because as I read through its pages and as I see how it was written over such a long period of time and by so many different people, yet it speaks with one message, one major message amongst all those other messages, what you might call the, the, the meta-narrative of scripture. And we could talk about other things like fulfilled prophecy and Jesus' own um, opinion and belief about the Old Testament. He spoke highly of it, did he not? But I want you to notice here, right at the beginning, it says, the Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering. And the picture here is of like an eagle over its nest, looking over its young, nurturing, getting ready to bring life and creation into existence. 
And even here in the first verses of Scripture, we introduce to something of the mystery, I believe already, of the triune God. There is no one like our God. He is one, and yet he is three. He is one being. There is only one God. That's clear throughout the whole of Scripture. But he is complex in his unity. And we have a glimpse into this mystery. It's understandable to a degree, but it will never be fully comprehensible. And that's why it's a stumbling block to many in the Christian cults, to Muslims, to those who believe there is but one God. In fact, in the Quran it says, it is impossible for Allah to have a son. And they believe as Christians we make the, uh, blast, the equivalent to them, really, of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, in that we say that there is one God who exists as three persons. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. And here, look, in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. Who's that? The Father. The originator. The source. Then we see the Spirit. The Spirit was hovering. The Spirit of God. We know that God is not made of flesh and bones. He is an immaterial being. It was an immaterial, immaterial, uncreated, absolute perfect being that brought this material universe into existence. The mind boggles when you listen to many in modern science today who have abandoned a theistic worldview. At the end of the day, you either believe this world was created or you believe the world came from nothing. And scientists are boggling over what nothing is. I was listening to Richard Dawkins recently and he said, we're trying to work out what nothing is. We haven't found out yet, but, you know, science is, is developing and we're going to find out what nothing is. Well, what are you going to find out? For crying out loud. And then, you know, he uses, he says, well, who created God? Oh, excuse me. Are we ever, as believers, are we ever talking about a created God? Who's talking about a created God? He is eternal. He is immortal. He is invisible. He is uncreated. He is the cause of all creation. He is the necessary being. We are the contingent beings. Amen. It's amazing, you know, that in the six, back in the 60s, the, many in the scientific community held the, the old Aristotelian view that the universe was eternal. And then through cosmology and astrophysics, many began to move towards, and it's held today, that the universe had a beginning. They talk about the Big Bang. Well, the Bible talks about the Big Bang too. It calls it the Big W. In the beginning was the Word. And they say the Big Bang came from nothing. No. If someone bangs on your door, you want to go and see who's knocking there. Amen? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You see in the parallel in Genesis. All things were created with Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And so we see God, the Father. We see the Spirit, and then we see the Word. You see the Trinity there already, right in Genesis 1. And I'm sure that when John was writing his gospel, he had Genesis 1 in his head. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God to distinguish him from the Father, but the Word was God. To show that we are talking here about two persons with the same nature. And then he says, and the light, speaking of Jesus, shone in the darkness, just as at the beginning of creation. Do you know that our God is the God who comes into the midst of chaos and brings order? 
Our God is the God who comes in the midst of our darkness and our trial and our difficulties and brings order. And many of us have been laboring, I feel, under a, under a, under a darkness, like Pastor John was saying before, under a cloud. But when God says, let there be light, there will be light in your situation. Amen. I'm going to move this, otherwise I'm going to end up flying over that keyboard. Paul said in Corinthians, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the revelation of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. I like the other translation which I think is more accurate. The darkness did not have the power to overcome it. Here's the one who says I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. And so we accept that the Father is God, we accept that the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are distinct in person, but one in essence. And that distinction is eternal. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He did not become the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God because that defines his relationship to the Father as it defines the relationship of the Father to the Son. And the Spirit is in relationship with the Son and the Father and vice versa. So God has never been lonely. He's not an absolute uh, solitary being. He has relationship and intimacy within his own being. And here's the mystery of redemption. And here's the mystery of creation. That God enjoyed that fellowship so much within himself that he wanted to make a bigger family. Amazing. So he says in Genesis 1, let us. Who's this us he's talking about? Let us. Plural. The plurality of persons within the Godhead. Make man in our image. And it all boils down to that relationship. That's why in John 17, when Jesus was talking and praying about the end of his mission, he said, Father, he said, let them be one. Let them experience something of the intimacy and the fellowship that I have with you. That's Christianity. Not some old, dead, dry religion. But a relationship-orientated faith. With a loving heavenly father. We see in the Old Testament that right there in those early verses the spirit is introduced. But there was a sense in the Old Testament that the experience of the spirit, which I believe is the spirit of fellowship ultimately. You know, the the famous apostolic benediction in 2 Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the spirit. You see the trinity there. Remember Jehovah's Witness came to my house once and said... Where's the word Trinity in the Bible? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. I said, mate, the word Bible's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not about whether the word's there. It's about what we mean by it. Is it there? Christi- Christianity had 2,000 years of developing this and trying to define it in human words. We can't come close to it. We try with our mere language to express it. And we use that term, and it's fair enough. But there was a sense in which the The fellowship of the spirit was, um, in a sense, um, exclusive and selective. You remember how in the Old Testament, there were only really four main offices that received um, the spirit coming upon them to fulfill a role. And uh, chronologically in the scriptures, in fact, not chronologically because the priests came before the judges, but I will mention these four. We read about the judges. Remember Gideon, it says God um, put on Gideon. The Spirit of God put on Gideon like a hand glove. It's literally what it says. 
in Judges chapter 6. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and the original literally says, he put him on like a glove. How many would like God to put, me on, put you on like a glove, amen? And the judges had a role, in a sense, with a little s of being, I say a little s to distinguish them from the, the only saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But little s's, they were saviours of God's people. You remember in, in the book of Judges, there's this cyclical disaster. God sets them free, they go back to their rubbish. God sets them free again, they go back to their rubbish. And God sets them free again, and they go back to their rubbish. And it carries on like that. But how many times are you going to do it? And these judges foreshadowed the anointing of the ultimate saviour, which would be Jesus Christ. Then we have the prophets. The prophets who spoke God's word. They were anointed. Now, Jesus, we know, was more than just a prophet because when he came, he didn't quote just Old Testament prophets. He would say, it was said to you before, but now I say unto you. Okay? Because he was speaking as Almighty God. God incarnate. The priests who offered sacrifices and intercession for the people. And we know in the New Testament that Jesus is the ultimate high priest and the kings. These were all the offices that were anointed. And they were all foreshadowing the fact that in Jesus, we would find the ultimate and perfect anointed one. As saviour, as prophet, the very word of God. Not just giving God's word, but the very logos of God. As priest... Read about that in Hebrews and as king. Amen. Amen. I love what it says about Samson when the Spirit of God came upon him. It says he was on his way on the road and a lion came and he was surprised. He said the Spirit of God came mightily upon him and he tore it apart. Whatever challenge you're facing, remember, if the Spirit of God can come upon Samson and tear a lion apart, how much more can the Spirit of God come upon you to defeat what you're facing? And so there was a sense of exclusivity and selectiveness to those who were anointed, to those who had the Spirit applied to their lives. But then deep in the Old Testament, we find this desire that one day God will take this um, selectivity and exclusivity of the Spirit and break out of that and pour it out upon all his people. This is what Moses said in Numbers 11 verse 29. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Amen. Joel said in the last days, and this was quoted by Peter in the book of Acts, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and there will be a universality. There will be a democracy of the spirit poured out upon the people of God. And so now, so much in the body of Christ today, we aren't distinguished between the super anointed, the great man and woman of God, and so on. You know, there's no real great man and woman of God, just a great God and ordinary men and women. Oh, we thank God for people that he uses especially mightily. But at the end of the day, we share in that anointing. If they got it, you got it. I remember a number of years ago, I was so excited because I had the chance to go to the fire conference in Birmingham, and uh, Ryan Harbonke was preaching in the afternoon. Benny Hinn was on in the evening. So I was after both their anointings, amen. So I noticed that Ryan had got a bit tired. He was standing on a chair. Man's with the Lord now, awesome servant of God, laying hands on people. So I went and got that one. And then in the evening, it was a Saturday night, uh, Benny was preaching. And I was like, oh, I've seen him on telly. Sometimes he says, all the pastors, you know, come forward. 
So he said, all the pastors come forward. So I did. And I went on the side of the stage and I could just see bodies flying all over the place. And all these pastors are on the side of the stage like they're about to go on a ride at um, Alton Towers or something. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got up on the stage and he prayed for me. He's like, pick him up. God, those, guys, those guys are rough, you know. Pick you up, boom, down again. Came out of that a bit dazed, you know. Anyway, I had to preach the next morning in Lancashire at my home church back then at the time. And I turned up in a white suit and preached in a German accent. Amen. (laughs) (coughs) The latter's a joke. The former is not. But we all are, we should not um, feel that there is no second class citizen in the Christian community. And so when we come to the New Testament, amazingly, we have those very same words of Genesis 1 paralleled, almost paraphrased, when it comes to the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Because he says, the power of the highest will overshadow you. What's that saying? The power of the highest will hover over you. And in hovering over you, he will bring into existence a fusion of divinity and humanity. The divinity of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, his divine nature was never created because he's God. There has never been a time that he has not been. But in in the incarnation, when God clothes himself, when God the Son assumes to himself a human nature, when God clothes himself with humanity... The divine nature assumes a human nature. And that was the creative, supernatural conception of Jesus as we know him in the womb of Mary. And he had to have that so that he would not inherit a sin nature from our first father, Adam. Which qualified him as the God-man to be the saviour of the world. So I don't care what any Baxter bishop says. The virgin birth is critical to the story of redemption. It's critical to the sacrifice of Jesus being acceptable to God as the punishment for our sin so that God's holy standard could be satisfied and his grace and mercy and love be poured out upon us. And so he was supernaturally conceived just as in the beginning as the spirit was hovering, he brought light and creation into existence. And in in doing that and in God modeling that, He modeled for us, in a way, the experience that every one of us has when we're born again. Amen? We're not supernaturally conceived physically, but we are supernaturally conceived spiritually. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Don't think for a moment that when you became a Christian, it was ultimately you that took the initiative. The prevenient grace of God operated on your life. Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The king has to stretch out his scepter to you as he did to Esther for you to come. The Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can remove the blindness. Only the Holy Spirit can breathe life into your spirit so you even have the ability to repent and believe. Are you following me? I did not birth myself. John says, they were not born of the will of man, but of God. It is a supernatural, spontaneous, 
irreversible act of creation by the Spirit of God. The fruit of which is, hey, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Hey, I believe in Jesus now. Hey, my desires have changed. God takes the heart of flesh out of you, the heart of stone, should I say, out of you, and gives you a heart of flesh. You can't do that to yourself. Grace is God coming to a corpse. A corpse by itself can only do one thing, and that stink. But grace comes by the virtue of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that as Jesus was conceived of the Spirit, then filled with the Spirit, we read about that in Matthew chapter 3. The heavens were opened, amen? And the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. He was filled. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just as he was modeling baptism for us, he was also modeling the importance of receiving the Spirit. In fact, in Luke's account of the baptism, when he came out of the water, it says that before he received the Spirit, he was praying. Do we pray for more of the Spirit in our life? We need him. He was filled with the Spirit. He went into the wilderness filled with the Spirit. First mention of a car in the Bible, amen? Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, okay. (laughs) But he came out in the power. And then he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. He has appointed me to heal. He has appointed me to set free. He has appointed me to declare that we're in an age of favor. The Spirit has been poured out on Jesus, and Jesus is our prototype. He's the, first, he's the second Adam and the last Adam, so that what the Spirit did for him, he wants to do for us. I was talking with a theologian once. He said, um, so what, to what academic level have you been trained in your theology? So, you know, I was a bit arrogant. I said, well, I've got a master's degree in Pentecostal charismatic theology as well. He said, well, I've got a PhD. I said, well, so have I. It stands for preaching, healing, and deliverance. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to empower us. With, you know, the the New Testament concept of, hi everyone up there, I didn't see you before. Can you put that popcorn away please? Thank you. It's not allowed in the sanctuary. Meeting with the elders after, amen. No, I'm only joking. The Carlsberg I was worried about, but anyway, okay. What was I saying? I can't remember. You've got to forgive me. I've, I've been uh, laboring under a really bad virus. I need to attend one of those healing meetings, you know? No, the PhD, yeah. <laughs> Praying heaven down. How about that? Okay, PhD, right. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> Jesus said, the works I do, you will do also. Greater works than these you will do, because I go to the Father. Man, how do you interpret a past scripture like that? Greater? Greater works... You see, my understanding of that passage, I think it's limited. I, you know, maybe you've got more on it than, than what I have. But I don't think it's possible, is it, to, as a Christian, do greater works than Jesus of a qualitative nature. Surely not. I think that's ruled out. 
But surely a quantitative nature? Maybe yes. Because of the universality of the spirit being poured out on an entire community across every continent of the world. And now the greater works are being done. We need a strong apostolic concept of what it really means to be the church. The church is the body of Christ. You know, Pastor John, when Pastor John asked me to preach this morning, how would he have been if I rang him this morning and said, uh, sorry, Pastor John, I, I can't be there because uh, I'm just, you know, something's happened, I'm not well, etc." I said, but I'll be with you in spirit. What good is that? If your body's not there, you're not there. Stop trying to be more spiritual than God. But if my body's here, then as long as I'm alive, which I think I am, the things I want to do, I do through my body. If I want to reach out and speak, I do it through my mouth. If I want to reach out and touch someone or give to someone, a gift, I, I use my body. If I want to walk from here to there, I use my body. Now, if we are the body of Christ, then Christ is the head, as the scripture tells us, and we are the body. And that means whatever Jesus wants to do, because he's not a body without a head, and we're not a head without a body, although you'd wonder some churches you go to, he wants to work in and through us. So when he wants to speak, he speaks through us. When he wants to heal, he heals through us. When he wants to deliver, he delivers through us. So I don't have to chase any other man's anointing. I don't even have to accept that I have a ministry. All I have to do is say, Jesus, can I share in your ministry? Jesus, can I partner with you? So that your spirit becomes my spirit. Your strength becomes my strength. Your power becomes my power. I cannot heal a sausage. But Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. This isn't some fairy tale, brothers and sisters. We are not here to revere some memory as the, old, as the other world religions do. We're here in the living presence of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the one who was raised from the dead, who was ascended, who's seated at the right hand of God, and has poured out that which you now see and hear. Revival is when that concept of the body comes alive. D.M. Patton, a revivalist theologian, defined revival like this. He said, revival is the inrush of the spirit into a body that threatens to become a corpse. And the church is a bit like Lazarus. We're asleep. In fact, many people are already right in the church's obituary. As we make one compromise after another, as we accommodate this culture, more and more and more, and no one stands up to be counted for the truth anymore. We're told that we're intolerant, but real, the real intolerance is those that you can't hold a certain view, and if you do, you're, ex, you're ostracized. Look at Franklin Graham being banned from coming to preach the gospel in our country, just because he has a view that differs from the political correctness and norms. You know, just because a majority believes something doesn't make it right. Think about that. So on the day of Pentecost, a revived church was birthed. Jesus breathing life into his church. The birth of the church. The church was birthed in revival. In the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus had spent a lot of time prior to um, his 
going to the cross, talking about his relationship with the Father and talking about the Spirit, talking about this divine exchange of persons that he would go away and the Spirit would come. And there's an amazing uh, verse that many people miss in John chapter, I think it's John chapter 20, when not long before going to the cross, before the Passover meal, it says he breathed on them. I always knew Benny Hinn was biblical, amen. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they, at that time, maybe didn't understand what was going on. But I'll tell you something, 50 days later they knew what was going on. Because as they'd been waiting in the upper room, a sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And they would have looked at each other and said, I think Jesus is breathing on us again. But this time, not on the earth, but from heaven. And so, in that first incident, it was the resurrected Christ. It was the inbreathed spirit. And the result was life. I believe at that point, the disciples were regenerate. They were born again. Because the condition to be saved is to believe Jesus rose from the dead. But on the day of Pentecost, it was about power for mission. And... It was in that sense, at that time, the ascended Christ, the outpoured spirit, and the result was dynamis. The result was power, amen? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And so we have a command in Scripture not to just sit back on our laurels and accept that 2,000 years ago, the church was birthed in the Holy Spirit and fire and in the breath of God. We don't sit on our laurels on the fact that maybe 10 years ago or 5 years ago or whatever, 20 years ago, you had an experience for the first time of being immersed in the Spirit. Maybe being baptized in the Holy Spirit and prophesying and speaking in tongues. All fantastic. But we need God to feed that same breath into us every day. And in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Paul says, in fact this is a command, he commands us to be filled with the Spirit. But hold on a minute, only God can fill me. So how can he command me to be filled with the Spirit? There has to be some level of interaction. See, if it's a command, it means it's within your sphere of influence. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair, would it? To ask you to do something you can't do. So there's this tension between the, the sovereignty of God and the response that we make to what he does. But the command is be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. says, when Jesus turned that water into wine, the conscious water recognized its master and blushed. Amen. You right there, Mabel? You're ready to take off. Amen. <laughs> we need the anointing of God. You know, there is a difference when the Holy Spirit's upon us, when that you know, the, the, when we talk about the anointing, we all have the anointing in the sense that the Holy... You're right there, Keisha. <laughs> we, all, we all have the anointing because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Amen? I remember when God was moving powerfully in Blackpool. At the time I was working with Evangelist William Nee, another great man of God who's gone to be with the Lord. And um, 
You know, one of the guys in the church didn't like the fact the service was going on because the Holy Spirit was moving. And uh, we'd kind of gone out of the meeting just for a break. Uh, all heaven was breaking loose, healings and miracles and everything. And uh, the guy come out and went up to William. Oh, thankfully, he went up to William and said, said, I want you to know I'm not a happy bunny about what's going on around here. And I was like looking at William to see what he was going to say. He says, well, pity it's not the rabbit shooting season. That went like a rabbit after that. The command to be filled with the Spirit that produces joy, that produces power. When Christianity loses the Spirit, it's like a body losing its Spirit. It's dead. You've been around that? You've seen that? And God's sovereignty, it says even Jesus in Nazareth, could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. And I don't want to operate without that manifest fullness of God, the the anointing that manifests itself. Not just a spirit that's hovering, but a spirit that's manifesting. I remember when I began to travel full time, I was invited to do a mission in Clydebank. And everywhere I used to go, the pastors always say the same thing, this is a really hard area. I'm glad you've come to do the healing, um, the healing crusade. Unfortunately, many of our members can't make it because they're sick. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> yeah. And I went up to Clyde Bank and the pastor had hired the town hall. Seven, eight hundred seat a town hall. And um, I was preaching for seven nights in a row. And the place was dead as a dodo. I preached my heart out every night. God, please, just one response. I don't want to get fired. This is like my first crusade. And nothing was happening, nothing. Every night, preaching and nothing. I felt such a resistance. And you know, I can't see very well. I have a quite severe visual impairment. So I walk by faith, not by sight. When we was when we was at the when we used to do I used to do the um, uh, school of the miraculous at the Elim conference the first one we did we got there all excited and me and William were doing that for the week and uh, you know we looked at what other speaker was on at the same time because we wanted a big crowd you know and it was R T Kendall I said wait mate, mate we might as well just stay in bed because <laughs> no one's going to come <laughs> we packed it out by the end of the week amen anyway at the conference there was William now William. Uh, I don't know if you know, he had a quite severe hearing problem, all right? And then there was me who couldn't see. <laughs> then there was Mike Harris, the evangelist Mike Harris, who has quite a difficulty with his, his stutters. <laughs> so we was walking down through the conference like, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> you know, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so... Um, at this crusade, I, I was like so desperate for one response that I went up to one guy at the end of the meeting, obviously because I couldn't see properly, and I said, mate, you, you raised your hand to the Lord, didn't you? He says, no, nah, I was just scratching my nose. <laughs> oh, God, I was going to give it up then. But in seriousness, there are times when you really feel the breakthrough of God's power, 
And do you know that God is moving and acting, and there are times when you're struggling. Isn't it? It's true. And we want more of those open heavens, not closed heavens. We want more of those times when the spirit and the anointing of God is not hindered, but breaking out in our nation. So I'm coming to my landing point and my conclusion here. And so right at the end of the scripture, just as the spirit was there at the beginning, he's also there at the end. Just as God was there at the beginning, he's there at the end. It says, now the tabernacle of God is with man. Just as the tree was there in the beginning, the tree of life is there again. And just as the spirit is there at the beginning, he's there. But something new comes, and it's called the bride. It's called the church. And it says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take. The water of life freely. And here is God's heart from the beginning. The reason the Spirit of God was hovering at the beginning was to bring us to glory, was to fulfill an etern- a plan in eternity, in time, to bring many sons to glory in God's plan of redemption. And God, even foreknowing all that would happen, wanted that. And his purpose prevails. The father originated and planned it. The son carried it out. And the Holy Spirit applies it. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit to apply all the glorious things that we've been speaking about this morning to our lives. He is the Lord. And where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Amen. It would be wrong of me to conclude a message like this without allowing time for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do this morning. Amen. I wonder if we can stand together and just in your heart, let's honor and worship him. The ancient prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives us the hunger and the desire. As I was coming this morning, um, I just saw, you know, the Holy Spirit has been hovering over this place all morning. And he's waiting for the response of our faith. And he's waiting for um, the word and our reception of that word to come that we might receive. Amen. And... uh, Whatever it is you need right now from the Lord, whatever it is you need from his spirit, right now in your own way, I just want you to cry out to him. I want you to, let's open our heart to him. Spirit of God, we call on you. Would you come and fill this place and fill our lives? If you need healing in your mind, in your body, deliverance, power, strength to get through a trial. Jesus, thank you that you're the same yesterday, today and forever. Loose your power in this place. Lord, we all need to be filled. Maybe you need that, you know, you've become dry. And they talk about a dry January. Sometimes us Christians have a dry January and it's not the type of dry January we should be having. We need the Spirit of God. 
Fill us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Lord, you said if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Father give the Holy Spirit to those <coughs> who ask him? And so we ask you, Lord, for your spirit to come right now. Fill us to overflowing. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I want to share prophetically some things that I believe are happening now in the, in the spiritual realm, supernaturally to people. Um, I saw a lady coming in this morning. You had a long black coat. I don't know if you're wearing it now. But you, the Lord showed me a neck condition. You had quite um, kind of a sprain or, or, or a ligament issue in your neck. And um, right now, just put your hands on that part of your body. Jesus is touching you. Receive your healing. Amen. Receive your healing in the name of Jesus. Um, I saw someone with like a, a pain in this area here so that when you walk, see where my hand is right there in, I don't know what you call that, but uh, like walking, you know, you get up and then it kind of sharp pain comes there and you find it difficult to even walk and you have to sit down and uh, God is touching that right now. By the way, just because I'm giving a prophetic word doesn't mean that other healings aren't happening, but maybe just God is identifying a few things. And there was a lady here, I saw you three, I think it was three or days or three weeks ago, you were diagnosed with a breathing uh, condition, a lung condition, and God is healing you right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, by the power of God, receive right now. We believe for his healing, we believe for his touch. Just be filled, ask him for what you need. He's hovering, hovering. The same spirit that fell in Acts chapter 2 fell again in Acts chapter 4, fell again in Acts chapter 8, fell again in Acts chapter 10, fell again in Acts chapter 19. He comes, he stays, he comes again, he stays. He falls, he falls again. When he falls, sometimes people fall as well, but anyway, he falls, he comes. The Spirit of God to fall, fall Holy Spirit on our lives. Just right now, Lord, just release your power. Maybe this morning, if some of the, if those words were applicable to you, I want you to come forward so that I can pray for you and minister that, confirm that healing. Also, maybe where you are, or you feel it might be appropriate for you to come and say, God, I need to be filled, and the team here will minister to you. We know that many times um, the laying on of hands comes. Yes, Jesus. Let's carry on worshipping right now. I'm going to minister as the Holy Spirit leads. Could I ask some of the team to come and help pray because I believe that many more will be responding. Yes, Lord, we listen to you. We listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Someone here, you're in an educational pursuit and you're thinking of giving up. You, you can't carry on. You feel that you've come to the end of your tether and you just can't do it. And God wants to remind you this morning on how the Spirit of God came upon Samson. He tore apart that lion. And God is going to cause you to ace that challenge in Jesus' name. He's the Holy Spirit. is the comforter. He's the encourager. Amen. This is a funny one. And I'm not going to expose this person. Um, not that I know who it is. But I just feel there's someone here this morning and... You're making your living from selling drugs. And God, God wants to tell you he loves you. Okay? You think I'll say that and then, you know, to, to condemn you, to shame you. God says he wants you to come to faith in him. 
and to trust him to be your provider because you've already got a conscience about it because you were brought up with the right value system but you've turned to that under the pressure of living in a, in a and God right now wants to break into that situation for you he's given me that specifically because he wants you to come to that place not to embarrass you we're not about embarrassing anyone if all our sins my sins were up going to be put up there now anyone all, none of us would be here anyway okay we're all in the same boat we all need a saviour and uh, God wants to touch you okay surrender to him this morning in Jesus name amen if you want to come and be prayed for and receive from the Lord this morning need a fresh touch from him let's be hungry for God you can respond where you are responding it doesn't matter but let's cry out for his spirit and what we need in Jesus name Amen. Amen.